0: Welcome to Birth Story Friday of the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. In today's episode, we will be sharing Mackenzie's birth story where she found out that her baby was breached, had an unsuccessful ECV, and then a successful one, and then went on to have a vaginal birth. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Safe Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal
1: fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers
0: navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals.
1: Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey.
0: We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. episode, we're going to be sharing Mackenzie's birth story. And so Mackenzie had two ECVs. The first one was unsuccessful, and then she advocated for a second one, which was successful. She was planning to give birth in a freestanding birth center, and if her baby was breached, she was going to risk out. So it was important for her to try to get her baby into a head down position. The second ECV was successful, and then she had PROM, which means that your water breaks before your contractions begin. And after about 24 hours, due to her freestanding birth center's policy, she had to transfer to give birth at the hospital. So Roxanne, can you talk about ECVs advocating for a second one and then also understanding transfer policies of birth locations that may be outside of the hospital?
1: So ECVs is external cephalic version. Again, this is when your baby is head up and they're turning baby head down manually from the outside. Normally, they'll offer this around 37 weeks because they say baby is smaller and there's usually more amniotic fluid at this time. But you can always advocate to have another one. Potentially, it could be a different provider than the first one. And also, baby may be in maybe a more optimal position where that ECV could be more successful if you wait a couple of days. They don't routinely offer that second ECV, so you do need to advocate for it. And we love that McKinsey advocated for a second one that did end up being successful. So you never know. With your birth location, when you're delivering out of hospital or planning to deliver out of hospital, there are always potentials that you may need to transfer your care to a hospital birth. Asking those policies prior to either hiring your home or birth center for your birth can be very helpful for planning to know when potentially you might need to transfer. And then also establishing concurrent care with a hospital provider can be helpful for you to be able to transfer kind of seamlessly where they know a little bit about you. For most birth centers or home births, they have like set timelines for policies of after your water breaks, when they would transfer your care, depending on different situations. Sometimes they'll wait a little bit longer. Sometimes they'll wait less time, depending on just their policies. But there's also other reasons to transfer out, such as you're over 42 weeks you have multiple babies. Sometimes either increase vaginal bleeding during birth or there is something going on with baby's heart rate that is concerning that they want to transfer to the hospital just to be safe. They are called pink flags in a way because they want to transfer you to a hospital before an emergency happens rather than during an emergency because it is a little bit easier. And depending on where that home or birth center is located from the hospital, they need that buffer. So if you know what hospital your home birth midwife or birth center transfers to routinely, you can go to that birth center, tour that hospital, meet with the providers there so that it is a little bit more of a seamless transfer if it needs to happen. We also recommend packing a bag just in case you do need to transfer either during birth or prior to birth. So you risk out of having an out-of-hospital birth you have that bag already packed, ready to go, and that's not something you have to do in a panic.
0: So being familiar with your out-of-hospitals transfer policies makes it less of a surprise for you in the moment because sometimes we'll have folks that have had to transfer but didn't totally understand why or they had to transfer for a reason that was, like, quote-unquote, like, common knowledge, but they didn't know. So, like, if you give birth before 37 weeks or after 42 weeks, like, you risk out of of out-of-hospital birth in most locations. And so being familiar with what would risk you out takes away the surprise if you should find yourself in that situation. And then you have some plans for what to do when you do have to transfer. The other thing that Mackenzie had was PROM, which is pre-labor rupture of membrane. So she's not having any contractions and then her water breaks. Unfortunately, her contractions didn't pick up to be active labor by the 24-hour mark, which for her birth center required her to transfer to the hospital. So Roxanne, could you talk about some methods that someone can use to try to encourage labor if they had PROM? And Mackenzie will talk about the things that she did, and then what would happen if they transferred and they had more of an active management of their labor.
1: So with PROM, pre-labor rupture of membranes, most people will have their babies within 24 hours after pre-labor rupture of membranes happens. And contractions will usually start within 24 hours for most of us. But there are those few that it doesn't. So picking a time within that first 24 hours to potentially do some at-home kind of induction methods can be beneficial to avoid getting to that 24 hours because that risk of infection goes up after 24 hours, which is why Mackenzie's Birth Center had that policy of after 24 hours, you do need to transfer to the hospital. With the at-home induction options, you can do such nipple stimulation to help increase the oxytocin in your body, doing 15 minutes on each side with either a breast pump or your hand. It can be pretty tiring if you do it with your hand. So we normally recommend using a breast pump. Other options is your providers can offer a membrane sweep. Some people think that you can't get a membrane sweep when your water is already ruptured, but you can because what they're doing is the amniotic bag is still somewhat kind of stuck to the cervix, even if it is fully ruptured, and they can go in and kind of stimulate the cervix while they're doing it and separating what is remaining of the bag. And sometimes when your water breaks, you can have either the bottom of the bag break or the top of the bag break. And if the bottom of the bag break, it's a little bit, there's probably not as much bag, but if it's the top of the bag that break, there's still fully the bag at the bottom that they can do a membrane sweep to help stimulate those contractions. If none of those options kind of work, using medical options for induction is usually the next step, especially if you go to the hospital. So with McKenzie's case, they did a cervical ripening agent of Cervidil where they placed the next to the cervix. It releases synthetic prostaglandins over 12 to 24 hours, depending on your hospital policy. It just stays there until you Your cervix is a little bit softer. Sometimes it can cause contractions to start and potentially that you don't need any other induction methods after that, which is what in Mackenzie's case happened. She did not need anything after that cervidil was placed and the membrane strip was done. But they can go on to offer either mechanical dilating options or Pitocin, which you can learn more in our childbirth education courses about those options. Sometimes with PROM, your providers may not offer all of the same induction methods as if your water was intact due to that potential increased risk for infection. So they may not do cervical ripening agents if your water is broken. With the Cytotech, they can't place it vaginally because their thought is that the Cytotec will just run out. But with that Cervidil, since it's right next to the cervix and it stays there, it is a little bit better of an option if you have PROM. Some providers will not place mechanical dilators such as Foley bulbs or cook cats because of that increased risk for infection associated with PROM or just your water being broke in general. So asking in prenatal visits like, hey, potentially if my water breaks before labor and I do need to be induced for that, what options do you offer for inductions if that happens can be helpful for you to prepare.
0: So now Mackenzie is going to share her birth story of how she found out her baby was breached. She had two ECVs and then went on to have a vaginal birth in the hospital.
1: Let's take a quick break to share about our birth story sponsor, Balbay. Baobay is a perinatal company that intentionally designs support wear for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Baobay was founded by a physical therapist and creates support bands, support leggings, bralettes, and other clothing items to support your entire perinatal journey. I loved using Baobay to support my postpartum healing with their bloomers. They are designed by a physiotherapist to offer unique core support that resists stress and strain over the abdomen. A pro-fabric hammock also provides a bottoms-up approach to pelvic floor support. The bloomers offer gentle core and pelvic floor support for optimal postpartum recovery.
0: Plus, you can grab the bloomers in their Soothe and Support postpartum kit that includes a peri-bottle, postpartum underwear, a postpartum perineal ice pack that fits into the bloomers. The ice pack can also double for soothing engorgement in your breasts, and I personally use this kit my postpartum. Baobay is one of our favorite maternity and postpartum support wear brands. We are so grateful that they have graciously sponsored our birth story podcast episode so you can hear real birth stories to learn from as you prepare for your own birth. Head to Baobaybody.com and use code MAMASAYFIT for 15% off your order. Thank you, Balbay for supporting us throughout our motherhood journey. Thank you, Mackenzie, for being here with us to share your birth story. So Mackenzie had a failed ECV and then a successful ECV and then went on to have a vaginal birth. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks
2: so much for having me. I'm so excited to share with you guys.
0: So tell us your story. How was your pregnancy? And then what did you do when you found out that your baby was breech?
2: So this was with my first, um, my son, who is now three. And our pregnancy was wonderful. It was uncomplicated. It was very easygoing. My three-year-old is now screaming at me from the background. <laughs> if you can't hear him. We can't hear. We can't. Yeah, so I had a really uncomplicated pregnancy. I was in the gym five days a week. I was working in the office. I felt great. I really had no complications. And then we hit 36 weeks, and we had an ultrasound, and bam. We found out little man was upside down and breech and we were floored, didn't know what to do or it was just came out of nowhere because everything had been so routine with our midwife up until then, low intervention, very low key pregnancy. So yeah, we found out at 36 weeks, he was breech and they, you know, Pointed us in the direction of spinning babies and a couple other resources. So I started laying upside down on a ironing board and everything else I could read in Google. And they recommended that we go for an ECV at 37 weeks. So we did. And it did not work. And we were heartbroken. So we went back to the upside down ironing board. And I kept doing anything I could from spinning babies and everything else. But yeah, we had prepared up until then to a, for an unmedicated natural vaginal birth. And suddenly we were being told we would have a C-section. So then I audibled and I read everything I could on C-sections and what to expect and to prepare my husband for what to expect. And our world turned upside down with that, you know, that kind of a switch flip. And here we were.
0: So how did you get to try a second ECB?
2: Yeah, so we didn't give up. That 37-week ECV failed and I was heartbroken, but I hadn't given up. And our midwife said, keep trying, keep doing everything you can at home. We'll schedule you for a 40-week C-section. I pushed as hard as I could to get it past 39 weeks. And they said, well, you're a first time mom, we can make it 40 on the dot, but you cannot go any later than that for the C-section in case you go into labor and it becomes urgent. So we scheduled that, but we did not give up trying all the spinning baby maneuvers. And at our 38 week appointment, because we were going weekly I begged and I said, can we try another ECV? Is there a reason why we couldn't? Is there, you know, is this counterindicated? what can, what are my options? And they said, no, yeah, you can try again. Nobody ever really wants to, cause they're, they're not the most comfortable thing anyone has ever done, but there was no reason we couldn't. So at 38 weeks, they scheduled us for a ECV on the day we turned 39 weeks. And they basically said, there's a really good chance this will just turn into a C-section at this point. I was like, well, we're planning for that in a way anyway, so might as well try one more time. I was not giving up, and I just kept saying, like, can we just try again? Can we just try again? And they said yes. So they booked us into the hospital in the labor and delivery ward in the room where they do C-section prep because they were just assuming (laughs) that's where we were going. And we tried again, and it was a different provider this time, and she was not giving up. She used every muscle in her body, and Sumo wrestled my son upside down and around, and she got him to flip pretty quickly compared to the first try, and he was head down. And we stayed for another hour or so just to make sure everything stayed, and all the medicines wore off, and I felt good, and I didn't go into labor. And then they said, oh, well, you guys can go home. Now you just have to wait for labor to really happen. And that was Valentine's Day. So he was, my best present was having him uh, flipped over. I said,
0: (laughs) how was the difference between your two ECVs? So the first one seemed like you were in it a little bit longer. And then the second one seemed a little bit quicker. So what was the difference between the two and kind of what you felt in your body?
2: Oh yeah. They were so very different. It was different providers. So it was a very different approach. And I could tell one provider came in and he was very confident. Uh, he had a very high success rate of this. Like he was the person, everyone said, go to him. If you have an ECV, he's the best. And he came in and he did an ultrasound and just checked and I was very confident because of his reputation that it was going to work out. So he was kind of hands off. He didn't do a lot of medications. He didn't even want to tip the bed upside down like and to invert me a little bit. He was very much kind of like old school. So he tried that initially just me laying flat and him trying hands on and it didn't work. So then he did request the medications to help like relax my uterus and then he did tilt the bed a little bit so my head was below my my baby (laughs) and tried again but it was very hesitant um, and I just wasn't convinced that this was gonna work all of the sudden he checked the ultrasound one more time and he said oh it looks like baby has his cord wrapped around his neck we're gonna stop and that was it it was quick in a way. It was quick and and, and not very um, hands-on and labor intensive. Whereas the second one, we went in supposedly knowing he had his cord wrapped around his neck and that provider said, yeah, that's not a problem. There's room, we're gonna try. She gave us medication right off the bat. She tilted the bed right off the bat. She was like in it to win it from the minute we started and <laughs> she was prepared for a wrestling match. And she just had a very different juju and mojo about her, which made me feel really confident like she was here to try and make this happen. And whereas the first time it just felt like, meh, we'll try, but C-sections are, you know, it's what you're going to do. It's fine. We, we prefer that anyway. So I felt very defeated after that first one, but the attitude of the second one was so very different. And yeah, she did not give up. She muscled him around. She kept trying, tried different things, laid me on my side, kept the ultrasound really close, never had a problem with his vitals or anything. And once she flipped over, I could just, I could feel such a release and a relief in my body that he was the right way. And I could breathe again and I could bend over again. (laughs) It was wild.
0: Did you physically prepare any differently between the two, or do you think the second one was successful because of the provider?
2: I think it was probably because of the provider. I had been doing spinning babies then for two to three weeks. So there is something to say with, you know, quite possibly a lot of those maneuvers and releases and and things of that nature might have, you know, kind of built up a little bit more over the extra two weeks versus the first ECV we had. It was one week from finding out he was breached and we hadn't tried a whole lot before that because we were just banking on the ECV working and everyone kept lauding this doctor's reputation as being able to flip a baby so easily and everything so we didn't try as much whereas the second time i was in desperation mode those two weeks of like no i want this baby to turn over so i tried everything i could on my own so i do think that those maneuvers and and you know just that mindset might have helped a little bit but ultimately probably the provider
0: (laughs) did anyone bring up breech vaginal birth to you or was that not an option at all so
2: that is not an option where we are. I requested it. I asked about it. Our midwives were not something that's not something they provide. Um, apparently, that's not something that doctors in this state are insured to do. I'm not really trained to do. So I did go online and look up a few other options, but it would mean out-of-state delivery of practitioners I could find, midwives I could find that would be willing to deliver breech vaginally, and that did not seem reasonable (laughs) at that time. Unfortunately, I was very, I reached out and emailed a couple midwife collectives and a couple places and I was, I was really uh, defeated in finding out that it was just this guaranteed C-section and no one really tried anymore or was comfortable delivering this. Ironically, my sister-in-law had just accidentally delivered her fourth breach a few months earlier. (laughs) So I was like, well, I know somebody did it. It was just an accident.
0: (laughs) What directory did you look up to try to find a provider that supported breach vaginal birth?
2: We were seeing a midwife and a birth center all along. And once we became breach, we kind of like risked out of that provider and that service. So they're in tandem with an OB here. So we basically, because the midwife was like, well, we can't do a C-section, you risk out, you go to the OB. But they had some advice on some other midwife collectives and groups and really Google, like I Googled the farm, I Googled, I Googled any of the, you know, midwives I had been reading books written by, Ina May and those, and just to see what I could find. And I Googled state, like our state, and we live in Florida, and it was not something that anyone around here was uh, comfortable doing.
0: So baby stayed head down, I'm assuming. So tell us your birth story.
2: He did. He made it a whole three more days head down. Yeah, he wasn't waiting. So we flipped him over on Friday of Valentine's Day. And on Monday, I went in for my routine (laughs) 39-week appointment. And we were walking out of the uh, waiting room. And I was like, oh, I think I just peed myself. Maybe that was my water. And then it stopped. And I was like, oh, well, pregnancy is weird. Okay. (laughs) It was nothing. It was 8 a.m. and I just went to work. And all throughout work, I kind of would stand up and walk to do something. And I was like, oh, it's that weird like trickle sensation. It's the weirdest thing. And I really didn't connect. past that I think I was might have been in denial I was also really trying to like get all my I's and T's dotted and crossed at work to be able to have a baby in the next couple days assumingly so it wasn't until I got home that evening actually that I told my husband and he was like you know that doesn't sound right we should call the midwife and I was like no I was really confident it was it was nothing so we called our midwife (laughs) We had now opted back into seeing because we were no longer a C-section risk. And she's like, why don't you come up to the birth center? Let's check. So we did. And she was like, oh, no, that's amniotic fluid. Your water broke. I was like, what do you you mean? I'm not in labor. (laughs) That's just been happening. She was like, well, how long has this been happening? I was like, um... I'm not entirely sure. I really didn't register it because I thought it was normal. Yeah, I know. Looking back on it, I sound like a dum dum. But uh, so she, yeah, she checked me. She said, "You're one centimeter. You are having contractions." I said, "I am." She said, "Yeah, you are." I said, "Oh, I didn't. I couldn't tell." well you definitely are but they're pretty mild pretty erratic so how long ago we tried to do some math of like when did I know for certain I started to feel this trickling sensation to start kind of the clock of the 24 hours of having my water broken if I didn't go into labor we talked and she said you know I think you're on the door you're on the cusp it's coming go home Rest, bounce on the ball, do a couple things. You can do nipple stimulation. You can, you know, do it. She gave us a couple things we could try. She's like, don't force it. I think you're really close. It's just got to kickstart. But go home and eat and rest because it's coming and it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be the next few days. So we went home and I did. Oh, I bounced on the ball and I did some nipple stim and I ate some chocolate and you know a couple other things that were like. Maybe uh, wives' tales, but I tried them anyway and went to bed. And I woke up around 1 a.m. having contractions. I was like, oh, this is it. This is the show. All right. This is what I've prepared for all these months. And then they stopped. I was like, okay, I really don't understand what's happening. So I went back to sleep. And then two, three o'clock, they started up again. I was like, okay, I'm gonna bounce on my ball. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna wake my husband up. I'm gonna, you know, let him sleep because I've got this. And they, they weren't feeling great, but they weren't, you know, the worst thing ever. And so I timed them and I texted the midwife, and she said, yeah, get some sleep. Like you're not there yet. <laughs> like I'm like thinking this is it." And she's like, "No, you've got a long way to go, honey. So I tried to sleep. I woke my husband up around six, and I was like, "I can't really sleep anymore. And I think we need to go. we have to go to the midwife at seven, no matter what, because that was kind of the time frame we had put on a twenty four hour of my water being broken where they wanted to check and see what was going on. So we did. We headed up to the birth center, um and she checked me. And she was like, yeah, you're still one centimeter, but you're now 75% of age. And I was like, okay, that's something. She's like, oh yeah, unfortunately it's not enough. So in order to stay at the birth center and have that birth center birth, I would have had to have been in active labor by then. And I was very far <laughs> from active labor, despite all my thoughts. So she said, you know, we're going to have to transfer you to the hospital. The risk of infection is high now that you've been, you know, your water's been broken for 24 hours or closing in on that point. We want to keep you somewhere where we can keep an eye on you and baby. You could labor today, tomorrow, another day. It's fine. You can stay in the hospital. We're not going to force it, but we want to keep eyes on you basically. And she was like, you know, we could do Pitocin. She named a couple things and I was very anti-anything intervention. I really wanted to see if we could do this as naturally as possible so we went into the hospital and they're like why don't we do a membrane sweep and see you know what happens and they talked about doing pitocin again I was like I really don't want to do that I've heard some horror stories you know we talked about this thing called cervidil I was like what is that I've never heard of that and they're like well you know we insert it and it basically just helps your cervix to ripen on top of a sweep we kind of pair those things together I was like well That doesn't sound like the worst first step because we've been here for a little while now. So we went opted into that. It was like 11 a.m. They did a membrane sweep and placed cervidil. And contractions started every 10 minutes from then on practically immediately. Like within, she said, don't stand up for an hour (laughs) because they don't want the cervidil to fall out. So I laid for an hour. And after that, it was all go. We had contractions every 10 minutes. From then on out, they built up very quickly. We started probably between 10.30 and 11 a.m. And my son was born at 5.32 p.m. So we went from one centimeter to baby and right around seven hours with the help of a sweep and cervidil that she said, you know, our midwife was like, yeah, that just really kicked started your body. It knew what it was doing. It did. It just needed that extra push so I labored uh, unmedicated in the hospital, which was not my my plan. But we we audibled. We had music, and we had my sister in law acting as my doula, who's had four unmedicated, one unintentionally breached births. So she's a pro. And yeah, we just ha- we kind of had to change our mindset a little bit. But we were we were there, and he was coming. There was no stopping him. So we pushed for about twenty minutes, and. All in all, he was here. (laughs) Once we started, it was pretty uneventful. (laughs) It was just the two days of getting it started.
0: (laughs) So what were some positive things that you took away from your birth story and like things that you would want to have in future births? And what were some things that you wish were different and to include like kind of the preparation for birth?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Looking back on it, I really don't have a lot of like, despite the craziness, despite two ECVs, despite my water breaking early, despite all these things that sounded like are awful, probably horror story sounding to someone else. I walked away like superwoman from my birth. Like I was on a high. I felt so amazing. And I didn't have any like lingering resentments or traumas from it, despite how probably traumatic it sounds. I felt at peace I felt very calm despite all of the audibling despite all of the changes I look back on it as a very overall wonderful experience Um, and I'm hoping I'm now 37 plus weeks so I'm really hoping my my next can be similar in all the good ways (laughs) (laughs) he's head down so we don't have that issue (laughs) but yeah just going into it of the mental mindset I was I didn't know what I didn't know And now I do. So honestly, you guys as a resource was something I didn't have the first time around. I actually found you postpartum and I was like, oh man, this would have changed so much. Um, So, you know, if I could change something, it would have been those little preparations, the mental mindsets. I was really active in the gym the first time. And I think that paid off in my stamina and my pain control and things of that nature. Yeah, but I can't say looking back on it, I would really change a whole lot. In the, it was a negative experience mindset, I would change things that I know would only improve my time this time and that has been you know using you guys as a resource again using you know some of the spinning babies maneuvers ligament releases and things of that nature just to feel like i have more symmetry doing chiropractic the whole time this time to keep myself feeling good i also did pt this time because i did feel like i had some prolapse symptoms so i wanted to be on top of that with this pregnancy So things like that are are kind of what I've changed this time around, and I'm excited for, (laughs) hopefully they all pay off in days or weeks. We will see. But yeah, I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Do you have any advice for someone that may find out that their baby is breached and helping them to understand what their options are and kind of navigating this like change in a potential birth plan?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's overwhelming. You have to sit with it for a minute. Like I know it scared me. It terrified me. All of a sudden, everything I had studied and hoped and planned for and this trust in my body was out the window. So I think the first thing is just sitting with it for a little bit. You do kind of have to wrap your mind around it and what your options are. So being able to ask those questions, you kind of need a little bit of clarity of like, hang on, let me take some time with that. Now I'm prepared to talk about that um, and look at your options and ask the questions. And it's really hard when you don't know what you don't know. So if you get to that point and you didn't know that spending babies was a thing, or they're not aware of you guys, or so many of the other resources out there, hopefully, you know, having a provider that's knowledgeable on those fronts is, Is it, you know, something that they have, but yeah, being able to ask the questions, being able to look up the resources, do the research. I'm a very research homework, (laughs) be prepared, have all my plan A, B, C, Ds in line. And as I'm sure you are aware, labor doesn't really work that way.
1: It's not good for type A personalities.
2: (laughs) No, it's, it's not. Um, so yeah, I would encourage them to, you know, sit with it and then to, to explore all your resources and all your avenues you know it is a mental mindset shift um, and that's just as much as a physical mindset shift so being able to prepare your mental game for the ultimate outcome of either a c-section or an ecv or all of the you know possible components there versus also your physical you know being prepared physically for a c-section is different kind of having to be a little bit prepared for anything at that point Don't give up. You know, if that vaginal delivery is something you really want, try the ECV, look at what providers are in your area that might deliver breech vaginally, but you have to counterbalance that not giving up with accepting reality. And that's really hard. And I know I really struggled with that. Looking back, I was like, God, I was so stubborn. (laughs) It worked out, but gosh, I was so stubborn. I must have sounded so terrible. But, you know, being able to not give up and accept whatever may come is a very hard balancing line. You really don't know how you're going to handle it until you're there. But yeah, just encouraging anyone who's got that sudden, hopefully successful ECV idea that, you know, it's going to work out no matter what your babe will be here, no matter what. And having that mindset helps like the end goal of like, no matter what, tiny human will be on the outside soon and you know no matter what we go through to get to that point we still get that same end goal and that's what we want
0: absolutely well thank you so much Mackenzie for sharing your birth story with us it was really beautiful to hear it and to hear how you advocated for yourself and are now preparing for a subsequent pregnancy that I hope is just as amazing and empowering for you so thank you so much Thank you guys so much
2: for having me. I hope that, you know, somebody who listens to the story has a chance to... hear how wild and crazy it can be and you know take something good away from it it was looking back on it despite how crazy it all ended up happening I wouldn't change it you know my my little man is here and uh, I learned so much about myself and about birth through, <laughs> through, through the process
0: so it's a good way to learn <laughs> like. uh,
2: yeah I, I really try and anyone I know who's you know expecting I'm like if you're not freaked out by birth stories please let me tell you mine <laughs> because I want to be in the best way possible a cautionary tale of like these are all the things that could happen and it's okay and you know you come out on the other side it's all good
0: absolutely well thank you so much for sharing your story
2: of course, thank you guys so much. It was wonderful, and uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on the next, uh, yeah, <laughs> the next rendition Hopefully here in
1: the next couple of days for you. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm. really hoping we're uh, we're not uh, just just not too late.
1: <laughs> Gina feels you. Forty one weeks is long. Okay.
2: Yes, I know.
0: I do. I do not wish that on you. <laughs>
2: I know. I was like, okay, I'm following along because the Lord knows that this one will be will be different but no
1: no hopefully same as the last one it was like what like 30
2: yeah he was like 39 and three so i'm like okay we could my provider's like, 39's a good week. And I was like, yeah. So he's probably not going to come that
1: week. 39 is perfect.
2: We hope it'll work out with the one.
1: 39 will come in. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to be like, oh, man. do will message us. So <laughs> sad. Yes.
2: I, I'm, you know, my dates and my curb walking and all my plans of like what, what we're going to do these next few weeks to encourage. I've never had a head down baby for all of these months. Like he's been head down. So I, it's.
1: I know is a new experience it has been
2: so different and I really naively was like oh what I had was normal the first time but I didn't know any better and now it's so very different I was like oh these sensations are vastly different when you have your your head down there and your hands are by your head it's um it's been yeah it's been different this time Now I've had one of each.
0: Well, awesome. I'm really excited to hear how your next birth goes and definitely keep us posted. So thanks for being on the podcast.
2: I will. Thanks for having me. Have a good night, ladies.
0: So if you find out that your baby is breech, explore the options that you feel most comfortable with. And you may want to do all the things to try to turn baby head down. And you may want to kind of limit the options to what feels best for you and explore those options with your provider and with your birth team. If you're giving birth in an out-of-hospital location, it's important to understand what your birth location's transfer policies are. So what are some things that can potentially cause you to risk out of giving birth at your birth location? What are some reasons that you may transfer? And this will give you more comfort giving birth in a place that is not the hospital as well. Understanding possible reasons that you may need to transfer in addition to being prepared such as having a bag and being familiar with the transfer location can help make any sort of transfers that you may or may not need significantly less stressful. If you need more support in planning for birth, we do have a free birth planning template that will help you better understand what your options are and what things you may need to do more research on. And you can also join our childbirth education course where we break down what your options are during your birth, questions to ask your provider, and we go over how to plan for birth. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this episode. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our pre all fitness programs and childbirth education course. If you want more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness trainer courses so you can learn from us and earn CEUs. Explore all our courses on our website at mamastayfit.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow our podcast to be notified when we release new episodes, leave a review, and share with your friends. We will be releasing new Birth
1: Story episodes every Friday and our normal podcast episodes on Wednesdays. The Mama Stay Fit podcast Birth Story Friday episodes are sponsored by Balbane, a perinatal clothing company that supports your pregnancy, birth, and beyond with their expertly curated support wear garments. Use code Fit for 15% off your order.